0: For our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat, on your pet-friendly radio station,
1: 2NURFM
2: 103.7. Hello, hello. Yes, we've got the full team here. We just love it. It is Pet Chat. Hello, Daniel Carrington.
1: Good afternoon.
2: We haven't seen you for a good month.
1: <laughs> That's right. I know, but you know what? It comes around so quick.
2: Oh, this one
1: almost got me by surprise. You know, it's the first of the month. And thought, oh, so, my Yeah, Buzz, so looking forward to being here today.
2: It's a good one today. Coming off the back of the holidays, I believe you're going to uh, look at... Smaller pets and Mm. and possibly easier to look after than your bigger animals. Smooth
1: sailing pets. (laughs) 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 Something that doesn't have a really long lifespan. Something that you know is easy to look after, which is great for your kids, like your five, six, seven, eight, up to ten years old. So really good.
2: We'll talk about that, and of course, Dr. Paul McCarthy, welcome back to the studio. We we haven't forgotten you. That's all right. No, no, I'm, I'm happy
3: to be in the background.
2: And we've got Betty at Bonnell's Bay on the line. You've got a question about your six-month-old puppy.
4: Yes, um, he's only a to Maltese cross and I've had him do sex and he keeps humping his toys.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so it it won't be um, sexually driven, Betty. So this is a a play behaviour that he's developed. Um, It's not sexually based, he's not not thinking that it's about sex it, it's a game he's doing um, now if you don't want, want him to play that game you can redirect him when he starts that to another activity so you might get a ball toy out or you might get a yeah. two toy out so that, so that we're actually replacing the game he is playing with a game that you think is more appropriate but, yeah but that's it, what it I is, do, it I isn't take, sexually I
4: driven, I take his toys off him <laughs> yeah yeah
3: and just give, 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 him, give him another activity to play because he, he is obviously wanting to have, have a game and that's what he's doing as part of uh. his game so, just replace it with a more fun. That
4: last? <laughs>
3: the, the actual humping game, if he, if yes. he, if he stays at that. <laughs> is that it, what
2: it's called? Is it Well,
3: <laughs> we'll call it that today. Oh, well, <laughs> but to that, that can actually stay polite. with them forever. So, so that's oh, why you God. want to maybe redirect that game to a more appropriate <laughs> game for you.
4: Oh, okay. It's a, <laughs> okay. It's a problem with those
1: much. natural insects, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: Thank
1: you. No problems, Betty.
2: I remember oh. Gizzy's first toy, Leo the Lion, and he used to get a little bit amorous with him too. <laughs> yeah, so. it's
3: a very normal puppy, adventurous uh, game at the start, um, but it can stay as a long term game if a, if a dog enjoys it. At least it's got
2: an Ugg boot. One of my friend's oh. little um, terriers was obsessed with the old Ugg boot.
3: Probably because it would have a very
2: strong smell. Mm, it's very disconcerted going over and watching it bring the brood out and going Display. to town yes, oh my goodness well there you go, it is normal so that's the good thing and it's yeah, a bit of, bit of fun but, but not
3: sexually driven in this case <laughs>
2: Let's go to Natalie from Broadmeadow. Uh, Natalie, you've got some problems with a rescue dog at the moment.
4: Yes, I do. Um, I've seen Paul, actually, um, at his practice in So He's really great. Oh, thank you, Natalie. We've free <laughs> home this beagle called Benny um, since September, and he just eats hibiscus flowers. Like, every day he'll eat two. Um, I Googled, and it did sort of say they're toxic.
3: But yeah.
4: I've sprayed peppermint on it, um, but... Nothing's happened since September. Is that okay? Like, he's eating two flowers
3: nearly every day. Yeah, so, uh, look, certainly it's about the numbers of ingested flowers. So, at, at that number, the likelihood of getting a toxicity is low. But right. certainly it would be, be advisable, obviously, if he doesn't eat them. Is it possible you could trim the plants high enough that the ones that are flowering would be out of his reach?
4: Yeah, the only thing is they drop, and he just wanders around the garden. Uh, and He finds, I see. He finds some w- drops in Once they
3: actually dropped, they're actually less toxic.
4: Oh, great. Yeah, no, he picks them up when they're dropped.
3: He doesn't actually find them off the tree. No, it's it's more of a stamen, um, and the pollen that's in the flower is more so than that. And so so dead petals uh, don't have the same level of toxicity, and the stamens won't have the same level of pollens.
4: Oh. Great,
2: fantastic. I've got about seven seven hibiscus trees, and I can't chop them down. No, no, no,
3: but yeah, certainly if he's not going for the fresh flowers, then the safety level is is
1: normally pretty good.
2: But right now, Daniel Carrington, you have a guest on the line to talk about smooth sailing pets.
1: Yes, that's right. Look, sometimes we think about our kids up to about 10 years of age, and we want them to learn about responsibility, looking after the pet. They may want a puppy dog, but we think, no, it's not the right time yet because it's a big commitment. Mm-hmm. So what are some little pets that we can buy our kids that are going to be easy to maintain, still teach them a bit of responsibility, and not have a really long lifespan? And I thought the best person to talk about this is Chris, because he's had every pet known to man <laughs> growing up. And, um, and we talked about, you know, what are three types of pets that might be good to look into for this type of uh, purpose? So, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, mate. Mate, um, just uh, what are the three pets we'll talk about today?
5: Uh, so the three that we've decided to have a chat about are, are fighting fish, fighter fish, yep. uh, stick insects, and hermit crabs.
1: Okay, so yeah, quite simple, but let's get into a little bit of detail. So why would you first recommend fighting fish as opposed to goldfish or other types of fighting fish to look after yeah, as yeah. A
5: Yeah, well, fighting fish are uh, a bit easier to look after than your typical goldfish. Uh, Most fish do require things like uh, filtration to keep the tank nice and clean and also aeration, obviously, for oxygen to breathe. Uh, Fighter fish create their own oxygen, so there's no need for things such as aerators and air pumps, and there's no real need for filtration being that such a small fish, they don't make much mess, they don't eat a great deal. So a lot easier to to maintain, look after and clean up. Yeah.
1: So, so what do you need for them? For example, if you don't need that stuff, what do you need for a fighting fish?
5: Yeah, basically, uh, you, you just need somewhere that, something that holds water, which is usually nice, like a nice little bowl, a vase, or you can get nice little set out fish tanks as well for them, yeah. which is just usually two or three litres. Yeah. Um That, you need a little bit of food to feed the fighting fish water agent to kill the chlorine in your tap water and that's it. How often do you
2: have to change the water though or or not not very often at all by the sounds of it? Yeah, not often at all. Uh, Usually around about once a week if you take out 50%
5: of your your water that's there and 50% fresh stuff back in you're fine, you're usually good to go. And we're, yeah, we're not so. talking
1: about a lot of water, are we? What's the- No,
5: no. Um, some people keep them in, in areas around you, two or three litres. Uh, yeah. In the wild, they live in little puddles uh, in rice paddies, so they're, they're used to a small amount of water. So it's um, not
2: cruel to have them in something small then, they like that?
5: No, exactly, yeah. It's, it's their natural habitat, something nice and small, yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: And the great thing for kids is they can come in lots of different colours. They're so pretty. Oh, Correct.
5: Yeah, I yeah. Go, go back 10, 12 years ago, we had red ones and we had blue ones. Um, these days, you can get every colour of the rainbow, yeah. uh, including mixes of that. So now you can get, yeah, three, four, five different colours in one little fish, which is which is quite amazing. And
1: if you're into fighting fish and your rugby teams, you can have a fighting fish for each rugby team set up on your <laughs> display, can't
5: you? You, you really but could. But you, you don't put really them could. together? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, next to each other, not in the same team, yeah. <laughs> All right,
1: so that's fighting fish. What about stick insects?
5: yeah uh, another nice easy pet again not requiring much all they need is uh leaves to eat uh and uh water which comes through a spray bottle oh, yeah. so all you really require is fresh leaves once a week and, and usually your gums and your wattle leaves are your best which most people have around um and yeah some some of those into a nice jar to hold them up into a mesh enclosure uh, is all you need for a little stick insect or a handful of stick insects.
1: So, um, and that's one you can
5: also handle, can't you? Yeah, so you you can handle them, obviously you can't with the fighter, but with the stick insects you can, they are quite quick when they're little, Um, so you do need to be wary of that. They will sort of move around a lot more and they become a bit more subdued when they're a bit older, so they're easier to handle. Uh, but if you do have any issues with the little fellas while they're growing, and limbs do uh, fall off and such, uh, like most bugs, but they will regrow while they're juveniles. Oh, so, yeah, if we have any accidents while they're growing older, then they will regrow those limbs. So it's so. like,
1: oh, mummy, mummy, I've just pulled the leg off the stick insect.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit better to happen to a stick insect than. <laughs> Like we say, a puppy or a kitten, yeah. Oh, God.
2: (laughs) And just a reminder, kids, your legs and arms won't grow back. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Um, uh, Last of all, hermit crabs... Something you know a lot about, Chris, don't you? Crabs?
5: <laughs> yes, I try to avoid. Um, so, but with the hermit crabs, they are they're they're a, they're a good type of crab to have. They're they're nice and easy to handle. Mm. Again, they're they're not something that requires a lot of time and effort. They do need a little bit more than the other two, being that uh, they they need a heat pad through your winter times. They yep. don't like the cold at all, um, and they do like to to climb as well. So, something like a, a sixty centimetre or two foot tank for a couple of crabs is sort of where you want to sit and size-wise and that way you can get a driftwood in there they can climb up and they do require both fresh and salt water so you need your spaces that for your for your food bowl for your salt water and your fresh water that they drink the fresh and they bath in the salt so that's why you need your two different ones there
1: and you can also set up a little bit of an environment there, can't you? To make
5: yeah, that's up? right. Yeah, little um, either crushed shells, um, you can use sand, gravel, yes. a lot of people like cocoa peat. Yes. Um, yeah, so you can you can set up a little Have environment. a bit of
1: fun with it. Yeah,
5: you can. You can. And these days you can get shells in, in so many different colours again. So you can get them in painted shells, um, you can get Disney character shells, uh, you can get all sorts of different things, um, jump on Pinterest and even get ideas off there. Um, Yeah, and paint the shells, and then you've got different um, colours sort of moving through as well, and they do grow out of their shells. So you can always have some bigger shells that you're always creating and putting different colours and things like that. So they can be very interesting to to watch, but they can also be
1: held as well. Look, Chris, that's great information. As as I said, smooth sailing pets, very easy to look after, and yet still Mm. teach some responsibility. Thank you for your help.
5: No problem at all, mate.
1: Thank
2: you. Thanks, Chris. You've inspired me. I think I want to get some little hermit crabs now.
3: (laughs) They're really cute.
2: Do some artwork on the (laughs) shelves. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
3: We had stick insects because my partner is a kindergarten teacher. So we had those for many years. Um, And they're sort of a self-replacing pet too because they they lay their eggs and the babies come out. So you always sort of got different sizes in the tank as well i thought so.
2: you meant self-replacing like they lose all their limbs and then they're a brand new one. In oh the no <laughs> <laughs>
3: they just what keep their the... population running
2: that's yeah. fantastic
1: that's di- amazing that isn't it you only need oh they're
3: really amazing so creatures too we... and the female and the male are completely separate looking mm. so they 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 look very different so, so did you
2: grab them out of your garden or did you go no, purchase no, no. We them got them got these
3: from someone who was breeding them
2: okay so, yeah can you get them from pet shops and that sort of thing?
1: Um, not all pet shops. Certainly, the corporate stores don't oh, stock yeah, them anymore yeah, or anything but like you that. Can but hunt some around. of the independent pet stores will have some. Okay. Yeah.
2: Interesting. Yeah. It's been a busy time of year, Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, over Easter, we've yes. got Mother's Day coming up. We had Anzac Day. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of a time where we do lots of things like barbecues, mm-hmm. and I know uh, a lot of our visitors think they're being super nice by giving you know just cutting a little bit of the sausage up and giving it to the pet. That's right. Not always a good thing,
3: though. No, and look, this last two weeks have been one of our busiest time periods for simple gastrointestinal diseases and diarrhea being the first most common sign of those. So, remembering that when dogs are eating generally, they're getting the same food once or twice a day, every day. Mm. They get very little variance, which is good so dogs get very used to their gastrointestinal tract being fed the same things and so the stools are of good quality because they're not getting too much varied levels of fat, varied levels of protein or worst case less and less levels of fibre so certainly when have, we have guests around the most common thing for dogs to be given is leftover fat off the plate mm. um, yes. now for lots of dogs that's going to be a real trigger for very simple colitis which is an easy fix but even right up to things like pancreatitis which can be Of even a fatal disease. So, just being very conscious that diarrhea also come in sort of different types. So, we often divide them into what we call small bowel diarrhea and large bowel diarrhea. Now, the most common is large bowel diarrhea, which is the classic my dog runs out, strains, 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 and produces often a very mucousy or gelatinous stool. Now, 90% of those cases, it will be due to a dietary change. It could be of exposure to something that I don't normally have. Or even simpler, I've just changed bags. So one of the simplest things to always do when you are doing a change from you're running out of one dog food to the next is try and make sure you transition between those two bags. Oh, really? Even within the same brand. Okay. In that manufacturing processes can differ from bag to bag. And it's often important to try and have a three or four day transition where you sort of do three quarters of your old food to one quarter of your new food day one. Half, half, day two and then the other way around, three-quarters of your new to one-quarter of your yeah. old on your third day. And what that does to do is try to transition the intestine to any variances that may be there, but not flood the bowel with too much of one variety at one time. Um, the, the other thing is small intestinal diarrhea. Now, small intestinal diarrhea is very different to large bowel, and sadly, generally has a much more nasty um, cause. Now, small bowel diarrhea is, is not the same presentation you'll get the same frequency of stool... So the dog's not going any more frequently, but what he produces or she produces is large volumes. Okay. Okay. So if you start getting 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 a dog produce large volumes of diarrhea in one go, that's certainly a, a reason to have your dog checked. Right. Because small bowel diarrhea is generally not diet related. So for large bowel diarrhea, I often suggest the first thing to do is to fast your to dog for twelve hours. Access to water, of course, is important, but take the food away. In that, quite commonly, if you do a fasting then followed by a bland feeding and by bland we normally mean some boiled chicken and rice or some boiled chicken and sweet potato um, a lot of those will resolve without the need for veterinary assistance okay now i preface that that if it has been more than three days then what we're often doing is we're losing fluids and that's an important reason to then see veterinarian. dehydrated dehydration can be the, the next step for that small intestinal diarrhea is very different so if you're getting large volumes produce often black stool. produce so black is normally digested blood it means there is bleeding into the bowel and that's the reason that you should seek a veterinary attention because that's generally not going to be a simple diet reaction
2: yeah okay so get to the vets as soon as possible. So and there's, that, there's a multitude of things, I guess it could be, and different treatments.
3: Correct, there are. And, and and often for small intestinal diarrhea, because there's often bleeding involved, it does mean that you need to make sure that you've got fluids on board for those because they're often losing lots of fluid in a short time period.
2: We're going to go to the phones now. 49216216 is our number now. Sam in Carrington, you have a tip for Dr. Paul. Yeah.
6: Actually, a friend of mine moved up to Southwest Rocks and they have uh, schnauzers. Mm -hmm. And if you ever want to believe in reincarnation, you come back as their dogs. (laughs) Well, of course, you know, being such a a bushy area and lots of reserve around very close to the homes, they rush off in there and, as you said, big change in diet, in this case sort of animal feces, Mm -hmm. and they get the squitters, as he calls it. Mm. And uh, long story short, he prescribes human metamucil.
3: Yep, correct. So dietary fibre. So dietary fibre is a really important thing for, for large bowel diarrhoea. So yeah, coli- that's correct, So, yes, so yes, for colitis, yeah. which is the most common cause of large, large bowel diarrhoea, um, one of the the, trips, the tricks for that, you're correct, is to use dietary fibre, which is why we often use things like sweet potato. Um, yes. Metamucil can be a little tricky in that it's one of the products that too much of that will give you the same side effect, which is diarrhoea. Um, yes,
6: that's what he said. As soon as it stops, a couple of days, then wean it off.
3: Yeah. And, uh, and simpler uh, uh, still and cheaper still, you can just get psyllium husk from your health food shop or from your supermarket.
2: My dad takes that.
3: Yeah, and that's just yeah, the same as metamucil. <laughs> so it, it's the yeah. same product at half the price, um, but doing the same job, which is just impr- in- increasing dietary fibre. Fibre. Mm. Mm.
6: Yeah, that was, that was his, his, his tip. He said, look, there's all sorts of drugs on the market that works just as well for that large bowel. And another tip that he, uh, he always says, if you, if you are changing food, get halfway by the new food half in the thing shake it shake up and down for about two or three minutes so you're just getting a random piece and then gradually get onto the new food from there but uh, yeah I it is really important
3: here. people forget that, that that even changing from one s- same brand but one bag to the next bag they can be very different and so getting that transitional um shock for some dogs can be too hard and you'll get diarrhea associated with that change so diarrhea is often not um what we call pathogenic it's not it's not a severe disease it's just that the bowels being presented with a different combination of food types or percentages and it can be enough to just make the bowel react in a negative way
2: paul i'm sure we would have covered this at some point on pet chat but i can't think of the answer off the top of my head obviously we're talking about diarrhea Mm. but quite often um it's not uncommon for your dog to just do a random vomit Vomit. and it's often sort of that foamy Color like yeah. a foamy consistency. Yes, is that, um, is that something we need to be concerned about?
3: Okay, so and look, this, and you're right. It's a really common question. So it's about the frequency. So a one-off. Um, you know, very un- un- uncommonly is often not a normal abnormal response. Dogs are dogs. They put silly things in their mouths and the body has a very good vomit reflex. So mm-hmm. the esophagus of a dog is lined by skeletal muscle. Ours is predominantly smooth muscle. So they have a really good ability to make themselves vomit. Mm-hmm. And so because they're a scavenger species, they're good at that. So occasionally that's not an issue. But if it's a frequent response, it can be that we're either having a dietary intolerance. So there's something in our Regular diet that we're becoming reactive to. And that can often give you that just foamy or bile based vomit. Yes. Um, Particularly if you're seeing that sort of on a weekly basis. So it's not something that's occurring on a daily basis, which generally means there's something much more involved happening. But if you're getting a weekly vomit or a fortnightly vomit, have a look at what protein source you're feeding in that diet. And particularly if they've been on that same protein source for quite some time, the body can form an antigenic response. Okay. And so you'll actually get what's called a, a, a gastritis but it's actually associated with the protein type you're feeding so particularly if you're feeding a beef-based food beef is more antigenic, and antigenic stimulatory than other protein types try fish or chicken and so seeing is if, this that if you're using vomits.
2: tins for example or you dry might change yeah, yeah tins tins or change dry. The often
3: the just using a different yeah. protein source might stop those dietary intolerances okay. So, they're not a true um uh, anaphylactic reaction. So it's not that I've become so allergic; if I break out in hives. It's just that the, the stomach reacts to those proteins in an anagenic way, and they have a mild gastritis. And so those ones that are sort of weekly vomits—that's commonly that the diet is now starting to cause some reactions okay. and worth looking at a different type of. So
2: diet. what if we saw a couple of vomits over two days and then and then nothing? Could that have just been it a reaction Could have been something that
3: passed through. Yeah. yeah, we we generally again advise clients if it looks like more flu. is being lost than being kept.
2: Yeah, so if the okay. volume
3: coming up looks like it's exceeded what could have been consumed in either water or food, that means you've got an energy loss. Mm. And and also, more importantly, I guess, a, a hydration loss. And they're the ones that do need to be investigated because too much loss then gives you, as you mentioned already before, very astutely dehydration. And dehydration is a secondary condition that has its own problems associated with that. Sure. Because we're not just often losing um, fluid, we're losing our electrolytes, sodium, potassium, and potassium. chloride and
2: would that be um obviously an issue for all dogs but especially like our younger dogs or older dogs correct so dogs
3: that have less reserves Mm, okay so dogs that have got less ability to make up for those with losses in their own body mass um they're the ones that are more important to be watching for and in certain breed types so there are certain dogs who become hypoglycemic much quicker than other dogs so dogs like chihuahuas for example Mm, are much more likely to become hypoglycemic and puppies in particular they've got very little reserves they can become hypoglycemic and also high pernitremic very quickly and they're the guys that you don't mess around with for vomiting for too long because they just don't have the capacity to absorb any of those losses
2: welcome marianne you're in aberdeer and a question for dr paul about your dog He's a seven-year-old border Collie
4: cattle cross and recently her glands in her bottom have started um not clearing you mm-hmm. know what i mean like yeah anal glands and I just, hmm?
3: her anal glands are becoming impacted that's right yeah Is that diet related or...? In in, in most cases it is. So, So as we were speaking before about dietary fibre, one of the easy ways to try and correct anal gland impaction is to make the stools not firmer but a wider diameter. And the best way to do that is add your dietary fibre. Now, um, as you again spoke before, psyllium husk and those sorts of uh, fibrous like metamucil can be used. But to be honest, the simple thing is just add some veggies into the mix um, and make your veggies at least 50% of what the diet is made up of to try and make the stools more fibrous, more uh, a wider diameter. And what it will do, it will push on those anal glands as the faeces are evacuated from the, from the rectum and get those those glands to evacuate every day what commonly happens with dogs with anal gland issues is that they they often have some good stools one day and some smaller stools the next day and so the glands aren't always being emptied every time a dog defecates and then if it stays in the gland for long enough the liquid becomes more like a paste and then it's almost impossible for the gland to empty that paste because it's too solid to get through the duct. Yeah, so so if you could do... What what do you currently feed?
4: Well, they get a mixture. They get um, fish, Yep. and then they get a bit of dog roll, but they get mince and veggies. And, yeah, and so what percentage fish. of your
3: roll... What percentage of your diet is your veggies? Because I can hear lots of protein going in, but what are you doing for your fibre? Um,
4: they get um, mince and veggies.
3: Yeah, so mince has no fibre, so you want to have lots and lots of vegetables. And in this circumstance, I would make at least half your diet vegetable, and half your diet the protein, so that's okay. that, so the protein is your, your, as you mentioned your fish and your mints. So it could even be a quarter of a diet. And in a seven-year-old dog, there's no great requirement for large amounts of protein now. The muscles have been laid down. All the growth rates have occurred. So now you're looking at more of an energy maintenance rather than an energy growth period. So you could make your diet of protein 20 to 25%, and the rest of that can be your vegetables. And then you'll get a much better stool produced, and it'll push on those glands more regularly. Now, you can get infection in the glands. Now, sometimes if you've got an anal gland infection or an abscess, fibre alone won't treat that. So initially you need to get your glands exp- um, expressed by the veterinarian, have the fluids checked to see if it, if it is infected and often antibiotics are required for anal gland infection. But for general just routine impactions, fibre is your cure.
2: Okay, we're going to go to Peter now from Newcastle and a question about your ragdoll cat.
0: Yep, but it's become an escape artist. Okay. Uh, now, it, but when, when it's inside the house, it just be hours to get out. Yep. And uh, then we've uh, we've uh, blocked up all the holes that she dug, which is rather unbecoming. Sure. Of a of a ragdoll
3: cat. <laughs> uh, so, uh, is your goal to try and make her an indoor only cat?
0: Uh, well, she can go out in the yard. Yep. But uh, uh, generally indoors most of the time. But. Uh, she interrupts our sleep
3: pattern
0: at night time as well. Yep. Uh, what How can old we is do? she? Uh, nearly three.
3: Okay. So there's probably two things happening at the moment. The first is there are obviously probably some new cats in your turf. Um, and so what's happening is there's territory that she needs to mark out and defend, and keeping that territory um, <laughs> clear of other cats is why she's wanting to be- get out and expand her turf. Um, now, that can be challenging in that what often happens is that that, that urge to, to protect the territory gets stronger and stronger, um, and so they almost then become cats who won't come home because they're trying to keep their well, territory safe.
0: What I've noticed with her, she's, uh, she's peeing on the uh, barbecue cover. Yes,
3: yes, which, so she's marking is, her turf. So, so another cat in the environment has decided to claim her backyard as its own, and what she's trying to do is gain that territory back. Um, it, it can be a challenge. So it's either uh, often handy to sort of talk to your neighbours whether they've got a new cat um, in case no. it's, it's, it's their cat. I haven't noticed any other
0: neighbours'
3: cats in the neighbourhood. Okay, so it then could therefore be a wild or a stray cat um, and and they can be difficult um, in that generally if they've marked their territory as yours and no one scares them off, they'll keep that territory for their breeding season. So um, that's a tricky one. What I would probably suggest you might want to do is is look at perhaps having an outdoor enclosure for your ragdoll so that they have these things called cat max enclosures, different things, a bit like a birdcage or an aviary, and and these are good areas for your cat to have some experience outside but it's still safe and contained without having to escape fences and things
0: so she doesn't need any uh medication to quieten her down because she's uh it's very annoying you're, you're she's, inside she's been desexed she just meows 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 to go outside you put her out then she disappears. And yeah. uh, we, God
6: knows
3: how she gets out, but she does. Yeah, so I don't think this is necessarily... Um, I mean, it, you, you could look at using an antidepressant if you think this is an anxiety-based response, but your, your history sounds much more like this is just a territorial dispute. And
2: was she dissexed, or is she dissexed?
3: Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so a desexed animal will have a much greater drive. But I would think in this circumstance, particularly with the fact you're getting urine marking, this is about territory.
2: So if if she was to go outside in this little cat enclosure, Paul, mm. could that be present a problem if this stray cat then came into the yard and she's sort of enclosed and this one, this yeah, the cat's it, not.
3: It can, but often cats don't want the confrontation. Okay. So the fact that we're getting urine spraying probably means that a previous cat has sprayed there. Yeah. And so what's happening is that she's having to overspray the other cat's urine. Yeah. So to the say fact it's there's mine. been no fights heard is unlikely. To, it just means that the cat's unlikely to want a confrontation.
2: Okay. We're going to go to Jan now in East Maitland. Jan, how can Dr. Paul help you with your dog today? Well,
4: I've got a little... Hello, darling. Hello. I've got a little moodle and he's 11 and he was the runt of the litter when we got him and his teeth have never... ever They've always sort of stayed baby teeth. And he's had an infection and I'm, he's on antibiotics and they want to take all his teeth out and I am horrified.
3: Oh, don't be. Don't be, Jan. I'm horrified. There, there are, I look are, at um, him
4: I think, you poor little bugger. No,
3: because it is more likely, Jan, that he's unhappy with the teeth he's currently got in. I, I I have removed many many teeth. I produced lots of toothless dogs in Newcastle, and those <laughs> dogs are much happier with those rotten teeth out than they are in. a they are bad. They I are bad. And he's yeah. a good little eater, but he only eats. He's
4: never been a chewer. He's been a gulp. No, and that's why nothing. often the
3: teeth go badly. Yeah. yeah. So I would strongly recommend your your vet's on the right track. Um, you're far better to have no teeth in that head than bad teeth.
4: How they, do
3: they eat though Oh, you'll be amazed. They will gum-dry food. They will chew on pigs' ears. Dogs with <laughs> no teeth will actually often have a much happier mouth because they're not in the pain associated with the dental well, disease. Well, he's
4: been a lot better since he's been. I have to give him antibiotics for 10 days.
3: Mm, and to try and clear the infection around the teeth before yeah. they come out. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's a lot
4: better even since
3: he's been on that. And think,
4: oh, I look at him and think, oh, because I just love him to
3: death. Oh, look. You, I can't you, look at you with no teeth. Oh, no. you. Oh, you so, 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 so be prepared what often happens happens in dogs if they, all their teeth are removed is the eh. tongue will loll on either side of the mouth. So the tongue is often contained in the mouth by the canines. If mm. they've got to remove the canines, just expect that the tongue won't always stay in the mouth. So they, look, right. they look a bit, you know, lolly looking. Eh, but um, yeah. you are doing your dog a great service by getting out those teeth. And you'll they love lead him inf- anyway. Yeah, they'll lead to heart him, disease. They can lead to kidney disease. Lolly teeth.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, no, take <laughs> the teeth take out. They're
2: lolly teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're funny, Jen. No, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I hey, have well, one-eyed one dog.
3: Yeah, And I the love smell from the mouth will improve amazingly. There you, you go. You'll, you'll you can be, have more
4: smooches.
3: Yeah, more smooches. Yeah. yeah,
4: I'll get plenty of them now. And now I appreciate your time, darling.
3: No problems, Jen. The best of luck. <laughs>
4: okay.
2: I love Jen. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's beautiful. a really
3: common thing, Sarah. People get panicked. How is your dog going to eat without the teeth there? And they're always amazed at how well these animals do without the teeth being there. And it the must be a complete The teeth have been a relief. hindrance rather than a help. Absolutely, yeah. the
2: dogs must feel so. Because oh, someone yeah. said once, um, you know, but they're still eating. So I didn't think it was that bad. And mm. I think it was Kimberly said, "Well, the op- option is death to death. That's so right. So they will continue exactly, to, regardless of the exactly. pain. Exactly.
3: And what the people often get surprised—they'll so often try and eat faster. Because they're trying to flick the food in with their tongue. Ah, so people right. go, oh, but they're eating really well. They're, they're gulping their food in. Right. And what they're trying to do is actually avoid having to use their teeth. Yes. So, yeah, it's a really important thing. Dental disease in canine and feline medicine is a really important subject. And we probably should talk about that another week because there is a lot of knock-on effects from having bad teeth.
2: Okay, well, we did promise it. How about we have a look at oh, the, yes, the, the dog, dog of the, of the week. week, Dr. Paul, before we run out of time. Uh, now, we've got a 2 year old Mastiff Cross Staffy, <laughs> okay? Now, this is Mia. and uh, the, What the, a face. Yeah, she's, she's got a gorgeous face. So, you know, it's another Staffy cross used for pups and discarded by owners, apparently, oh, you know. Sad that, to know. Yeah, it is sad. She weighs in at around 18 kilos, so, you know. Oh, she's a, small. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. She stands knee-high, and um, despite being chipped as a Mastiff cross, she is a ball of muscle with an easy-care coat and a smile for days, and we can see that yeah. in the photo. I mean, God, she looks happy. Go have a look, by the way. To 2NURFM.com for our Dog of the Week. Now, she loves people. She loves being around people. She loves being out in the garage. If you're out in the garage doing something, if you're out in the backyard kicking a ball around, she wants to be there. She is very active and she's a bit of a jumper. Mm. So high fences are required. Yep. So she came to Dog res- Rescue with no training and her carers are working hard with her. She's coming along really well, but she would need an owner who's prepared to continue the work to help uh, her be the the best, calmest person she can be, or dog she can be. Um, So, yeah, I guess they're probably looking for someone that's experienced in in owning dogs. But if you think you're that person and you would like to give Mia a home, then you can find all of the details, and that is at 2NURFM.com. And And it's always nice when the right family obviously get the right animal as well. It It is an important
3: decision when you are making that decision to increase your family size is to make sure that the dog you're choosing or the cat you're choosing is the appropriate one for your lifestyle. Mm. So this dog is going to be busy, busy. Yes. A face that's so beautiful you couldn't say no to. But remembering that if you don't have that time, probably a, 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 not the greatest of choices.
2: Really great advice. And you know what? That is it for us today. Dr Paul McCarthy, thank you so much. Pleasure, As always. Thank you. Great pet chat.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health,